Isn't it good to be in God's house today? Have a copy of God's Word. I want you to go to Genesis 13. Genesis 13, verse 1 through 4. I want to talk this morning on leaving the world behind. How many know that if you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow Christ, you have to leave the world behind? You can't have both. You can't have both. I know some people would like to have both, but you can't have both. You can't go to heaven living for the world. I know that's not popular preaching. But Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And if you're going to make heaven your home, you've got to be looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. You can't be living for the world. And so you got to leave the world behind. And last week we talked about going down to Egypt. And if you're here today and you've found yourself in Egypt, you've got to leave Egypt behind. You've got to leave the world behind and find your way back to God. You've got to get back to Canaan. You've got to get back to the place of blessing, to the place of promise. Let's look beginning at verse number 1. Then Abram went up out from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father... So thankful for your presence this morning. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be in your house. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to open your word. And I pray today, God, that you would speak to us through your word. I know that your word does not return void, but it will accomplish that which you have sent it to accomplish. And I pray today that you would speak through your word and that you would change hearts and lives in this place today. And I ask God for the anointing that makes preaching easy and effective. And I ask God for the anointing that changes lives and changes hearts. And so God, today I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought and precision of speech. And I pray God today that when we leave, we'll be different than the way we came. And Father, we will magnify you for all that you do. For it's in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 through 20, as we looked at last week, we see Abraham leaving Canaan, which is the promised land, during a time of famine to go to Egypt, which represents the world. We're told that to get to Egypt from Canaan, he had to go down. And I mentioned to you that any time a believer leaves the place where God has placed them there on a downward path, and we saw that in the actions of Abraham while in Egypt He lied about his wife Sarah. He encouraged her to commit the same sin. 
He became self-centered and he created the potential for others to fall into sin. He left Egypt worse off than he found it and he ruined his testimony in the eyes of the lost people. He ruined his testimony in the eyes of the Egyptians. To say the least, Abram's trip to Egypt was a disaster. But I've come this morning to let you know that no failure has to be permanent in the walk of faith. Just because you fall doesn't mean that it's over. Just because you've wandered down to Egypt doesn't mean that it's over for you. And I left you with that last week. That was our final point. That just because you may have stumbled, just because you may have fallen into sin, just because you may have found yourself going back to the world and going back to Egypt doesn't mean that God has washed his hands of you and that God is done with you. That there is grace that is sufficient to bring you out of the world and bring you out of bondage and bring you out of things that you may have found yourself in once again. I'm glad that God's grace extends to us even when we find ourselves at times back into the bondage of the world. That God's grace can still bring us out of the grips of sin when we find ourselves there at times. Amen? Verse 1 of the text tells us that Abram went up out of Egypt. Even though he had taken a downward path to get into Egypt, he took an upward path to remove himself from that place. You see, it's possible for the wayward saint to return to the place of blessing, but you have to understand there are certain requirements that have to be met by the returning saint. And so this morning we're going to talk about what it takes to leave the world behind. And so let me give you three, three truths about leaving the world Behind. Number one, leaving the world behind involves separation. Leaving the world behind involves separation. We notice that Abram separated himself from Egypt. He placed distance between himself and that place. He started out on a journey and he wasn't content just to get on the outskirts of Egypt. He was set out on a journey to get back to the place of blessing, to get back to the place that God had called him to be. He was determined to get back to the place of promise, to get back to the place of Canaan. And so he had to separate himself from the land of Egypt. Can I just simply say it this way? And you might say this sounds a little foolish the way I word it, but if you're going to leave the world behind, you have to leave the world behind. Amen. You have to separate yourself from the world. You'll also notice in the text that he didn't allow anything that he owned to be left at the disposal of that evil system. He took his resources with him. He took everything that he had accumulated, his wealth, his, his resources, his silver, his gold, his cattle, his, his wife, his everything. He took it and he returned to the place of blessing. And I know this morning that biblical separation from the world isn't popular in our day. I know when it comes to talking about being separate and being sanctified and being set apart and living a holy lifestyle that it's not popular and if you write about it and if you preach about it you're not going to sell a lot of books and you're not going to sell a lot of CD sets and people aren't going to line up to get your autograph 
laugh when you start talking about being separate and holy and sanctified, but I still believe that God is holy and because he is holy, we are supposed to be holy ourselves. You see, the world wants us to be tolerant and the world wants us to be accepting and the world wants us to wink at sin, but separation is a requirement for those who want to walk in God's power. Separation is a requirement for those who want to walk in God's blessing. Separation is a requirement for those who want to see the favor of God on their life. And you might say, preacher, what about the grace of God? It doesn't that give us what we don't deserve? Absolutely. But God is still holy. God has not changed. And I believe God's still coming back for a bride that is without spot and without wrinkle. Amen? And I understand we can't do it in ourselves. But we have to have his help. And we still have to lay aside some things. And we still have to lay down some things. Amen? God still wants us to live clean. And God still wants us to be separate. Listen, I, I, I thank God for grace. But I'm tired of this greasy grace and cheap grace. That says we can do whatever we want to and still go to heaven. I'm thankful for grace that it saves us. I'm thankful for grace that it can keep us. But I'm, I'm tired of the grace that says we can do whatever we want to and God's okay with it. Romans 6, 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid. God forbid. If we're going to leave the world behind, we've got to be separate. Last time I read this book, and you read it in the New Testament, God wants us to be different. Does he not? We're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're supposed to be separate. Abraham was supposed to be different than the people of the world. And yet he got down there in Egypt and he ruined himself. He lied and he schemed and he plotted and they kicked him out. The pagan Pharaoh was more righteous than he was while he was in Egypt. But Abram had to separate himself from that place. Let me just read what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. You know what? If you were to read chapter 7, verse 1. It's not in your notes. But if you have a Bible, Second Corinthians chapter 6. He says, I will welcome you. Verse 18 says, I will be a father to you. You should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says that Therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let me read it. Therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
That's 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. It's not up there. You just write it in your notes. Who did it say should do some cleansing? Let us do some cleansing. Well, preacher, I thought God was going to do all the cleaning. No, God will do the saving. God will do the redeeming. But God wants you to do some cleaning. God will give you the strength, the grace to work out your salvation. But God wants you to do some cleaning. You see, that's what it means. When the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's God giving you the grace and the power to work out what God's working in. But God's not going to take just automatically start taking stuff all the time from you. God's giving you the power to lay stuff down. Amen. And so we got to decide, what am I going to love more? Am I going to love God more? Am I going to love the world more? Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight. Listen, a weight doesn't necessarily mean it's sinful. But it's a hindrance to your walk with God. It's a hindrance to you running the race and being everything that God wants you to be. It could be a, it could be a recreational activity that you enjoy doing. But if it keeps you from being everything God wants you to be, it's a weight in your life. And he says you need to lay it aside. And the besetting sin, the sin that so easily ensnares us. Here's the thing, there's some things that I don't struggle with and there's some things that you don't struggle with. But if we'll be honest, there's usually that one sin that that, or two things that, that constantly gets us. And it says we've got to try to lay it aside. Because it keeps ensnaring us, it keeps impeding us, it keeps hindering us. And we've got to lay it aside. I want to say this before we get ready to move on. We can't dabble in the world and indulge the flesh and expect to enjoy the abundance of Canaan at the same time. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in Canaan. In other words, we can't straddle the fence. Elijah gives us a perfect illustration. When he goes to the children of Israel, he tells them in a sense, you've got to make up your mind. Look at 1 Kings 18, 21. I, I, I like this in the New Living Translation. Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. You see, you can't live for the world and the Lord at the same time. Elijah's telling the people, you've got to make up your mind who you're going to follow. You've got to make up your mind who you're going to serve. Uh, serve. And I want to tell somebody in this church today, you've got to decide who you're going to serve. You, you've got to make up your mind, are you going to follow God or are you going to follow the world? Joshua did the same thing. He told him, you can't serve the foreign gods. If God's the real Lord, you need to follow Him. In fact, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he said, you've got you, you to choose. You've got to decide. If you're going to serve God, you've got to say goodbye to the world. You've got to be separate from the world. You've got to leave the world behind. And I'm not talking about isolating ourselves from the world. 
But I'm talking about being different from the world. I'm talking about not loving the things of the world. You can't have two masters. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Oh, that, that's powerful. He says, if you love the world and the things of the world, he says, you don't love God. That's what he said. Verse 16, for everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. If you're going to leave the world behind, you're going to have to love God more than you love the world. And you're going to have to put some distance between you and the things of the world. Jesus said that if we're going to follow him, we've got to renounce everything and follow him. And he said if we weren't willing to renounce everything, we're not worthy to be his disciples. He said if we didn't love him more than father, mother, brother, and sister, we're not worthy to be his disciples. Leaving the world involves separation. We're supposed to be separate, set apart, sanctified, holy, different than the world But secondly, leaving the world behind involves returning. As Abraham left Egypt, he had a clear direction on where he was headed. He had a particular destination in mind. As I've already said, he wasn't interested on simply exiting the geographic boundaries of Egypt. He was committed to going back to Canaan. And notice the text gives us a specific place that is headed. He's going to go back to a place between Bethel and Ai. And notice the phrase that tells us this, where his tent had been at the beginning. And you may be wondering, the beginning of what? The answer is this, the beginning of his walk with God in the promised land. He's going back to the spot between Bethel and Ai where the last spot where he saw, where, 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 before he journeyed to Egypt, he's going back to where it all began and where he had first built an altar to God. This is the last place where he was in touch with God. Let me just say something to somebody. You'll find God where you last met him. Because God's not the one that moved. Sometimes if there's distance between you and God, you need to go back to where you last met him. And you'll find him there. Sometimes it's going back physically to a place where you encountered Him. Sometimes it's going back in your mind to a place where you encountered Him and find Him again. But He's going back to a place where He encountered God. He's returning to where He met God. You see, Abraham had gone down to Egypt and he failed, but now he's returning back to the place where he had proclaimed his commitment to God and he's doing the same thing all over again. He's going back to that same spot and there he's reaffirming his faith in God. A couple of things here. Letter A. Returning to God means you'll have to return to the place of God's worship. You'll have to return to the place of God's worship. Abraham left Egypt and made his way back to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And he returned to the place of the altar. When Abram was in Egypt, there were no altars, there was no praying, and there was no word from God. Think about that. 
While he's in Egypt, apparently God wasn't on his mind. He didn't give God any attention. But now that he left Egypt, God has to become the focus of his life again. Can I tell you, when you go back to the world, God's not on your mind. When you wander back to Egypt, you give no thought to God whatsoever. That when you wander back to Egypt, you give no thought to prayer. When you wander back to Egypt, you give no thought to worshiping God. You give no thought to giving Him thanks. You give no thought to being grateful for what God has done. But now that He's come back to Bethel, now that He's returned to the house of God, now that He's returned to the altar, all that He wants to do is worship God and call on the name of the Lord. Can I tell you, God had to have His affection and devotion one more time. You see, the child of God will never be fulfilled until he or she returns to a place where God can be encountered again. You see, once you've experienced the presence of God, nothing else will compare with it. There's no high in the world that can compare with the touch of God on your life. Once God has ever touched you, once God has ever reached down into your soul and changed your life, and once you've ever felt the touch of the Holy Ghost on your life, no other feeling will ever match His touch. Can I tell you what I'm feeling right now? There's no drug, there's no alcohol that can ever make me feel what I'm feeling right now. Listen, I've been in the world, and I've been there, and I've tried that, and I've got a t-shirt to prove it, but there's nothing that can make me feel what I feel right now. And listen, if you've ever been in the presence of God and gone back to the world, there's nothing that can take the place of His presence in your life. And so he had to go back to the place where he had encountered God. And that's what it takes. You've got to return back to the place where you encountered God. You see, I believe the most miserable people in the world aren't necessarily lost people. They're saved people out of fellowship with God. Because they know what it's like to be in God's presence. And if you ever get out of God's presence, you'll be miserable. Amen? If you, oh, if you ever felt the joy of the Lord down in your soul, and you don't have it, you'll be miserable. Amen. If you've ever had His peace overwhelm you and comfort you and you don't have it anymore and you lay restless at night worrying about the things of this world because you've gone back to the world and you've got bills you can't pay and don't know how you're going to pay them, listen, you'll lay there at night and you'll cry and you'll weep and you'll stress and you'll be miserable. Can I tell you what? Just return back to God. Amen. I'm telling you, you just got to come back to God. There's no better place to be than in the presence of God. To be where God wants you to be. You've got to return to the place of God's worship. But let her be. You've got to return to the place of God's working. Abraham returned to the place where God had worked in his life. You see, God will always be found in the place where we left him. I think for a moment about the axe head when the Young man was felling the beam, cutting down the tree, and the iron axe head went floating off in the river. And Elijah, I believe it was Elisha, one of them, I can't remember right off, said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. And he threw in the stick and it began to swim. He lost it. He found it where he lost it. You know, that's usually how it is. You find something, 
where you lose it. I believe many of God's people need to return to their altars and to the place where they walked away from God. God's waiting to meet you and God's waiting to bless you again, but you've got to return. I've already made reference to this, but I've got to say it again. If God seems distant, God's not the one that moved. You did. God doesn't move away from us. Amen. We move away from Him. Let her see. Returning to God means you will have to return to the place of God's will. And you know what that means? You've got to let go of your will. You have to let go of what you want. And I'm afraid for a lot of people, that's a struggle. They don't want to let go of what they want. They don't want to let go of their will. But you have to return to the place of God's will. Abraham, he returned to the place where God sent him. Canaan represented the perfect will of God for his life. You see, the place where God can bless you the most is the place where God has placed you. You see, God, he'll give you a lot of rope, but in the end, if you want his blessings in your life, you've got to be in the place that's nearest him. One more thing I want to share with you before we move on. You'll notice that in this text it says that he made his journeys back to Bethel. Some translations say that he moved there by stages. In other words, he didn't just set out and he made it back overnight. While I believe that forgiveness is immediate in its instant, sometimes intimacy with God takes time. What you can destroy in a moment can take you some time to regain. Forgiveness, instant. But the closeness and fellowship you once had and the anointing you once had can take time. So you best be careful about going down to Egypt. Amen. I can illustrate it this way about you looking at Joseph and Mary, the earthly parents of Jesus. They went to celebrate the Passover on their way back to their home. They assumed that he was in the crowd. And the Bible says that they took a day's journey, assuming him in the crowd. And the Bible says it took them three days to find him. Only took a day to recognize he was gone, but three days to find Jesus sitting in the temple. You best be careful. Because you can undo something in a short time and it takes you a lot of time to recover. Amen. One final truth I want to give you. Living the word behind, world behind involves renewal. Spell check. But I want you to notice, first of all, that he renewed his devotion to God. The text says Abram came back to the place of the altar. And we see that there seems to be a renewal and recommitment of his desire to be in God's presence. He comes back to the altar. He wants to be in God's presence again. He, he, he wants to be where God is. Once again. 
I would say that there was something drastically wrong when a child of God has a lack of desire to worship the Lord. And when we can come to His house and not want to worship, when we can be in our private time with Him and not want to lift our hands and not want to say thank you and not want to say praise the Lord, there is something wrong when a believer has no desire to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's true whether it's in private or in public. You see, I believe God wants us to be in a state of mind where His worship is a priority in our lives. And you've heard me say this before, but I want to remind you again that if you don't like worship while you're here on earth, you're not going to like it when you get to heaven. If you don't like singing while you're here on earth, you're not going to like it when you get to heaven. If you don't like it loud down here on earth, you're certainly not going to like it when you get to heaven. Can I tell you, I'm just in practice mode for when I get to heaven because we're going to join in with the angels of heaven and we're going to cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. We're going to get around the throne and we're going to worship Him and we're going to adore Him and we're going to praise Him forevermore. Can I tell you, we need need to be people that are excited about Jesus. We need to be people that are excited about what God has done for us. And you might say, preacher, I'm not an excited person. I'm not an emotional person. But let me just say, let me see you on a Saturday when your football team scores a touchdown. Let me see how excited you get. Let me see you when your favorite NASCAR driver wins the race on Saturday and see how you get. And let me see when your grandbaby scores the winning touchdown or hits the home run and see how excited you Don't tell me you aren't emotional. We get more excited over worldly things than we do over what God's done for us. We often come to church and sit there and it's like, bless me if you can, preacher. I'm not here trying to pump anybody up or bless anybody. And I don't need anybody to amen me. I'll amen myself. Listen, I've preached to five people. I'll amen myself. I know what God's done for me. And I'm afraid that's what most of our problems is. We forgot what God's done for us. We for, we, I'll say it like this, and, and, and I, ho- I hope it don't offend you, but we, we, we forgot the, the hell that it brought us out of. And we forgot what it's like to be lost. We, we, we forgot what it's like to be separated from Him. And somehow we think we've gotten here by ourselves. Somehow we've been good enough and we have a sense of entitlement that God owes this to us. God don't owe you a blessed thing. He don't owe you the next breath you breathe. But the Bible says let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So with every breath you breathe, every time you breathe in and exhale, you ought to say thank you, Jesus. Every time your feet hit the floor, you ought to say, thank you, Lord, for another day. 
Oh, your eyes may not well up with tears like mine do, but you want to say thank you, God, for another day. And you may not jump up and down and run across the front of here like I do, but you ought to have something stirring on the inside of you. You ought to walk in this place and your heart ought to beat just a little bit faster because you're in the presence of God. Because He gave you something you didn't deserve. And you ought to better come in here and just better lift your hands just a little bit and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Because right now you might have bills that you can't pay. You might have sickness in your body that, that, listen, that could take you to an early grave because doctors can't do anything. But here's the thing. If your name's written down in heaven, Jesus said rejoice that your name's written down in heaven. Amen? Because here's the thing. If doctors can't do it for you, Dr. Jesus will do it when you get there. And you'll never have to worry about it again. And I promise you, if you listen, we may sorrow for you while you leave, but listen, you'll be better off when you get there. And I promise you, you won't want to come back here when you get there. Amen. And so we ought to dance a little bit, and we ought to shout a little bit, and we ought to sing a little bit because of what he has done for us. Abraham, he got back to the altar, and he began to call on the name of the Lord, and he began to worship, he began to sing, he began to rejoice because of what God had done for us. Him. Worship's important to God. Listen to John 4, 23, 24. An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father, notice this, wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him, what does that next word say? Must worship in spirit and truth. Didn't it say that God wants worship? And you must worship in spirit and in truth? Sounds like worship is important, isn't it? So Abraham, he got back to the altar and he worshiped. And I'm afraid that in the church today the altar is barren because we've forgotten what the altar is all about. And we wonder why souls aren't being saved and lives aren't being changed. It's because we've forgotten all about the altar. How many remember growing up? Grab hold to the horns of the altar and pray until you pray through. Anybody ever heard that? You get in the altar and you pray. Can I tell you, the altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place of seeking God. It's a place of repentance. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of thanksgiving. It's a place of forgiveness, both given and received. It's a place of supplication. It's a place of praise and worship. I pray that the Lord would help us to remember our way there and how to use the altar for His glory. May we never forget the altar. Amen. Better be, he renewed his dependence on God. It says he called on the name of the Lord. He's through with Egypt and he does what he should have done in the first place. He relies on God. You see, instead of looking here and there for the help we need, God wants us to walk in total dependence on him. God desires our faith. And here's the thing, he'll honor genuine faith by his provisions. But thirdly, he renewed his dedication to God. 
Whatever happened in the heart of Abraham that caused him to walk away in the first place has been dealt with. I want you to notice the phrases at the beginning and at first. It suggests to us that Abraham has experienced a renewal of his first love. What happened in this man's life is what needs to take place in the lives of so many of God's people this morning. I'm afraid that for many people today, they've allowed the flames of love to become nothing more than a flicker or a spark. Can I tell you what we need today? We need revival. And I'm not talking about an evangelist coming to town preaching. We need a move of God. We need God to stir us. We need to fall in love with Jesus again. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 through 7. Jesus gives us an illustration. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name, but I have this against you. This is Jesus talking, by the way. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And he's talking to the church. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life which is in God's paradise. The church in Ephesus, they worked, they persevered. They had a lot of good things going on. They were a sanctified church. They were a separated church. They were a steadfast church. They had a lot of good things taking place from the outside looking in. It was a great church. If you had shown up in Ephesus and said, well, hey, where's a good church I can go to? Oh, you need to go to the first church of Ephesus. That's where you need to go. But Jesus knows them better than anybody else. And he commends them for what they've got going on well. But then he condemns them. And he says they had left the first love. Notice he didn't say that they lost it. If you lose something, you don't know where it's at. Amen? If you lose something, you don't know where you've misplaced it. You don't know where it's at. He says, you've left it. You've abandoned it. You've walked away from it. If Jesus walked in here today, If he opened these doors and walked down this aisle and took this microphone from me and began to look at each of us as a whole, what would he say to us? But if he began to point at each of us individually, what would he begin to say about us as individuals? Would he say we still love him as we once did? you might say, well, how do I know if I love Him the way I once did? Let me ask you. Is it still the same way as when you first got saved? Because I can remember what it was like when I first got saved. 
And it should be better than when I first got saved now. And if it's not better than when I first got saved, then I don't love Him the way I used to love Him. If I'm kind of at the same place or even a little lukewarm, I'm not better off. I'm worse. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. But I want to be passionate about Him. Because here's what I know about my life when I was in sin. I gave my all to it. I went head over heels in sin when I was in it. If I could do it, I did it. Amen? Isn't that something? We'll give 100% to our sin. I won't give 100% to our Savior. Shame on us. We'll give 100% to our partying, our drinking, our drugs, name your vice, whatever it may have been. And won't give 100% to our Savior. Shame on us. We won't give 100% to Him. Part of us is still in Egypt. And He's trying to work that out of us. I want to be totally out of Egypt. I don't want no part of the world in me. I want to be all for Him. Amen. In closing, I got a question I want to ask you this morning. How many of us this morning would be honest enough to admit that we're more down than up in our walk with God? We don't have to have a show of hands, but just answer to yourself this morning. Are you more down than you are up in your walk with God? I believe I would, if we'd all be honest, I would have to say that many of us might have to say we may be more down than we are up. That we're not where we all should be in our walk with God. I don't know where you are this morning spiritually. But I do know these altars are open and you can come to Him and God is gracious and God's merciful. And God is ready to welcome you. God is ready to receive you. God is ready to touch you. God is ready to help you in every area of your life. May we determine this morning that in our hearts that Egypt is no place for us to dwell. And that we're going to go back to Canaan. We're going to go back to the place of blessing. Go back to the place where God wants us to be. Whatever the cost. Would you stand with me this morning?